You're listening to a podcast from City Tribe Media. We're an urban tribe that helps people who feel far from God to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference. For more fresh content, check City Tribe on YouTube, Instagram, or Facebook. Enjoy the message, and welcome to the tribe. Now here's Lee Wong. Well, howdy, City Tribe. How y'all doing today? Special shout out to everybody watching on Facebook Live, watching in the video cafe, listening at a future date to our podcast, and hello to everybody in South Carolina and Pennsylvania watching right now. My name's Lee, I'm one of your tribe teachers, and last week we kicked off a series that's continuing our theme for the year to evangelize. that is to have hearts that are transformed, that are inspired to take action and have a meaningful conversation with somebody about Jesus in order that everyone in our tribe would win just one person into the kingdom of God. It's a series that we believe is going to be transformative for you and for me and trajectory setting for our entire tribe in this next season, especially. And so if this is your first time with us, if you weren't here last week, if you didn't hear the kickoff to this series of sermon collection of conversations, let me just encourage you right now to carve out a couple of minutes, 30 minutes this week to get caught up with us, listen online to any one of our platforms at City Tribe Media on YouTube or to the Apple Podcast, but get caught up. It is foundational for where we are going together as a tribe. Now, for the sake of our conversation today, let me just do a quick recap. Last week, we said that the harvest is plentiful. And the harvest, really, by definition, is just people who are ripe to receive rest and relief in their souls. And because of this, Jesus gave us this imperative that we are to pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers to gather his harvest. So we committed. We said that together we were going to desperately and daily beg the Lord of the harvest to send evangelists, people who will go into the world and simply say to folks who are distressed and dispirited, you're invited. You're invited into the kingdom of God. You're invited to participate with me in this kingdom movement. Now, our commitment that we made last week, it raises for me a couple of questions about what it means to be a worker. I mean, if we're praying to God to send workers to gather his harvest, what exactly is a worker? What is required of a worker? What credentials does one need to have? I mean, is it seminary? Does it mean ordination or getting some sort of licensure? And if Jesus conducted an interview today, a job interview, who exactly would be the credible candidate? And here's why these questions matter, right? Here's what I know about you. I know, just like me, that you wouldn't hire to take on a renovation project the person who simply watches Chip and Joanna Gaines, right? You might end up with something like this, a faucet right over an outlet. Renovation fails. And maybe you need to hire somebody for a party. You know that you're making a huge risk when you hire a friend of a friend that you heard about on Facebook who's building a baking business. And so you have this expectation for them to cater your party and you want something like this beautiful three-dimensional kitty cake. But then you end up getting something like this (laughs) melted face, not even sure what kind of abomination that is. And Whenever you and I need any kind of medical procedure done, we seek recommendations from our friends and our family members. We read reviews, we read ratings about doctors because it's just like that AT&T commercial says, just okay is not okay. 
right? You and I, we want the best. And it's in our best interest to get the best, most professional individual we can get. Because when we don't get someone who is qualified, when we don't get someone who has the credentials, who is trained and who has experience, we often end up disappointed. It ends up a disaster, like a melted face kitty cake, right? It costs us more money, more time, a lot of wasted emotional energy. It's why recruiters scour through thousands of resumes and LinkedIn profiles. It's why companies have these rigorous interview processes and why they have all of these background checks. One study showed that hiring the wrong worker can cost a company up to 15 times that individual's salary. And so having the right worker matters. And for those of us who consider ourselves spiritual people, I'm sure we would all agree as important as all that other stuff is, it's just earthly affairs. And if we wouldn't just trust anybody with our earthly affairs, why should you and I trust somebody with spiritual matters, things with spiritual consequences, right? Eternity potentially shaping decisions, things of that nature. That's crazy, right? I mean, if hiring the wrong person can cost the company 15 times that individual's salary, what kind of impact does the wrong harvest worker have on an individual accepting Jesus's invitation to be a part of the movement? What kind of impact does the wrong harvest worker, the wrong evangelist have on a person wanting to be a part of this kingdom? Maybe it prolongs it. Maybe people feel put off by it. And so given this concern and given what we committed to last week that we are going to desperately and daily beg for workers, I do wonder, right? Who is qualified to be a worker for the Lord's harvest? Like what does a credible evangelist look like and how might you and I become that worker? Now, when I think of who Jesus invited to be a harvest gatherer, and who's qualified to be a evangelist in his kingdom movement. I'm reminded of one of the funniest interactions that's recorded in the scriptures. At least it's funny to me. So if you have your Bibles with you, if you have your digital Bibles with you, turn to Acts chapter 4, the book of Acts, the fourth section. Some Bibles will say the book of Acts. Now the book of Acts is just one of two accounts that's written by a man named Luke. The other account being the gospel after his namesake, the gospel of Luke. And Luke had thoroughly investigated eyewitness claims about Jesus' teachings and his signs and wonders and his resurrection. And so Luke organized for us in a chronological order all of his conclusions that you and I might know the truth about what's been taught about Jesus, about what we read. Now, here's where we pick up today in Acts chapter 4. Jesus had ascended into heaven after being crucified and buried and then raised from the dead and countless people, they were dumbfounded that this guy that they had seen clearly beaten and killed, that he was walking about, that he was a resurrected person teaching and eating with other people. Two of Jesus's disciples, Peter and John, they couldn't help but herald to everyone that they encountered what they had seen and what they had experienced. I mean, you wouldn't be able to help it either, right? If you saw a person come back from the dead, you would want to tell Everyone, And so they devoted themselves to being harvest workers, to being evangelists who essentially said to everyone, hey, you're invited. Let's follow this guy who has power to overcome death together. And then over 5,000 people had accepted that invitation and seeing a rapidly growing movement, a rapidly growing tribe, the rulers of the region, this religious council, they were afraid of an uprising. 
And so they arrested Peter and John. And they asked Peter and John essentially the same questions that you and I are exploring. Today, they asked, by what power or in what name have you done this? In other words, what qualifies you two to teach people about God and the kingdom of God? What credentials have you to rile people up about talk of resurrections and feeling refreshed by a spirit? Now, to the council, these were some critical questions. You see, working for God wasn't something that just anybody was qualified to do. Religious workers were subjected to very rigorous studies that exceeds that of if you were to get like a degree from Harvard Divinity or study law at Yale. Here's how the council earned their credentials. Age five, boys would go to a local school to memorize the Jewish law, which is the first five books of our Bible, or at least large portions of it. And if by his teens this boy proved intellectual, and if he took an interest in wanting to continue his religious studies, his parents would have arranged a meeting with a local rabbi, a local teacher, and would have asked if this rabbi would take on their son to be an apprentice. And if the rabbi chose that boy, the family rejoiced. It was an incredibly high honor. And then that boy willingly, he renounced his family. He denied whatever entitlements that he had, and he rejected a worldview that he had been taught. Because for the next 18 years, the boy would pattern his life, his every thought, his every action after his rabbi, after his teacher. And there wasn't a curriculum, it wasn't a 12-step program, it was daily imitation and a constant conversation. It was such an honor that there was a saying in the first century to powder yourself in the dust of your teacher's feet. Follow your teacher so closely that he's going to kick up dust on you or sit at his feet so closely that when he gets up, you're going to have dust covering you. Now, during these years, those 18 years, the boy memorized, continued to memorize other parts of our Old Testament, the prophets and oral law and other teachers' interpretations and then legal rulings that had been made. He had to be so well-versed with our Old Testament that other rabbis from the region, they would test him and they would throw out a certain passage or a certain line of the scriptures. And he had to be able to quote all of the passages that came before it and all of the passages that came after it. Then, finally, at age 30, the apprentice was given authority to teach. He earned his respect. He earned his credentials. He was qualified. And so for the religious council, not just anybody was qualified to teach about God or the kingdom of God. And so they had to interrogate Peter and John to check their credentials. And as this interrogation continued, the council, they made an in an astonishing discovery, a surprising discovery about their credentials. Luke recorded it this way. Seeing Peter and John's boldness of speech and having understood they were uneducated and ungifted people, they were amazed. This word uneducated, it means that Peter and John, they were illiterate, unlettered. No one who received rabbinical training talked as simple and as unsophisticated as they did. And so that religious council, they would have concluded that Peter and John had failed out of their training or they were never even smart enough to have been chosen by a rabbi. But even if they had been still training, rabbis in training, there was 
yet another problem. And so for just one moment, I want you to imagine what Peter and John looked like. Try to picture in your minds these first century disciples. What do you see? What do you imagine? Now, if you're like me, you probably picture a bunch of grizzly men like we see in movies or in paintings or like those Kid City handouts that we give your kiddos. But forensic anthropologists tell us that they probably looked a little bit more like this. Pastor Robbie, right? Our city youth pastor. <laughs> in reality, Jesus' disciples were in their early teens. They were no older than their mid-20s, so think Stranger Things cast, all right? Pastor Robbie is actually older than Peter and John when they took over Jesus' kingdom movement. And so the council, they would have noticed that Peter and John were just children. And so simply put, they saw a bunch of bad-mannered boys who were trying to lead and teach other people. They weren't qualified. They didn't have credentials. And this wasn't their only disqualifier. Luke recorded that they were also ungifted. And this is the part that I find hilarious in the scriptures. I laugh at it every time that I think about it. The word from which we translate ungifted is the Greek word idiotes. <laughs> Sound familiar? Look familiar? All right, it's where we get our English word for what? Videotapes. I'm just kidding. No, you got it right. Idiots. And so this is the hilarious part. Jesus invited literally the village idiots to continue his kingdom movement. That's pretty funny. Idiotes meant that there was absolutely nothing special about these boys. They wouldn't have been a part of the cool crowd. In fact, it's like the first century equivalent of what the kiddos say today. You're basic. All right. Peter and John, they basic. And so it's no wonder that the religious council was in shock and in awe. These unsophisticated, basic boys, they had no business teaching anybody about God or the kingdom of God. They were not qualified. And this should be encouraging to you because it certainly is encouraging to me. We often think like, man, I don't have what it takes to be a levangelist. I'm not articulate. The words don't come to me fast enough. I stumble. I stutter. Some of us might even say, I don't even know what articulate means. I don't have a big vocabulary. I hate reading. I barely finished high school. I never went to college. I didn't attend seminary. I don't know anything about the scriptures. I can't translate Greek or Hebrew, or I don't know the historical context of anything, or I'm too old. I'm too young. People aren't going to take me seriously. And if you've said any of that, that's all good. Because what Peter and John show us is that none of that disqualifies you from Jesus using you to transform human history. If Jesus used a bunch of basic, unsophisticated, illiterate individuals in the first century to transform the trajectory of human history, if he's using a Chinaman who never went to church, he's certainly going to use you. Can I get a thank you Jesus up in here? Anybody? Come on now. Now, I'm the Chinaman, by the way, half Chinese, right? being amazed at their boldness of speech and being astonished that they were ungifted and uneducated. It finally clicked. The light bulb turned on for the council. Aha! I knew these guys looked familiar. The council recognized that they'd been with Jesus. Oftentimes when this scripture is preached in a gathering like ours today, the 
preacher usually encourages you, you need to live your life in such a way, in such a bold way that people see Jesus in you. And that's great. And it's encouraging. And it's not wrong. It's just not entirely what Luke was trying to communicate here because the context, what you've got to consider is that just seven weeks prior to this interaction with the council, the council had conspired to crucify Jesus. So perhaps a better way to read that line is to say that they recognized that the guy that Peter and John had been with was the guy they hated enough to kill. Right? And this is an even bigger disqualifier to work for God than being uneducated and ungifted. Why? I mean, what was so disqualifying about having been seen with Jesus? Jesus had a reputation. And how he lived, it infuriated the council. Three years prior to this exchange, the council members, many of those same members from that religious ruler's crew, they criticized Jesus. Here's how Luke recorded it. Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors? And who? Sinners. Jesus had a reputation for being friend of sinners. Gluttonous tax collectors who only looked out for themselves and cheated their own countrymen for their own gain. Lustful prostitutes who tempted married men and who earned money by giving themselves to foreigners. And people whose society believed that God was punishing with diseases and death for their family's misdeeds over generations. And so not only did the council see Peter and John as ungifted and uneducated, but they saw Peter and John as Jesus' friends. They saw them as sinners, unquestionably unqualified to work for God. And for many of us today, we don't like that word. Right? We don't like the word sinners. It has so much religious baggage with it. We don't like the preacher to address it or confront to us. It feels judgmental and finger-waggy. And it's a word that's used for describing people who God hates, things of that nature. But sin it derives from a term that's used for an archer who aimed at a mark, aimed at a target, and missed his mark. And because he missed his mark, he forfeited his prize. And in ancient literature, sin, the concept of sin, it referred to a character's flaw or a character's error that led to a downward, disastrous spiral. And so sin is an integral part of every triumphant story. And if you and I are honest... This definition of sinners, it describes every single one of us in here today. We've all missed the mark of perfection at some point in our lives. We all have some sort of character flaw or error that could quickly lead us down a downward spiral toward disaster. I'm sure, like me, you've lied a lot. And perhaps you've backstabbed a friend or a coworker, maybe you've stolen some office supplies, you've stolen a boyfriend or a girlfriend, maybe you've cheated on a test, cheated on Monopoly, cheated on a partner, maybe you even cheated to win the World Series, you know what I'm saying? Like, we are all sinners. Here's the good news. Jesus himself said, I did not come to invite the righteous, but who? The sinners, you and I, perfectly imperfect people are who Jesus invites into his kingdom and to participate in his kingdom movement. 
What you and I have to get ingrained in our minds, and it's so bewildering that the council overlooked this as smart as they were, as well-versed as they were with the scriptures, is that all throughout the scriptures, God has consistently invited to work for him unqualified people. Biblical figures who we now regard as heroes, they did not start out that way. Abraham was too old. Jacob was a deceiver. Moses stuttered and had a temper. He killed a guy. Rahab was a prostitute. Samson was an arrogant womanizer. King Josiah was just an eight-year-old child. King David, an adulterer and a murderer as well. Look, the list goes on and on, but here's my point. If you're uneducated, you never finished high school, you feel this guilt and shame of having never attended college, you feel like You don't have a big enough, a robust enough vocabulary. You feel ungifted. There just aren't talents that you were born with. You aren't eloquent. Jesus says to you, you're invited. If you've lied, you've backstabbed, you've stolen, you've cheated, you've missed the mark in any kind of way, Jesus says to you, you're invited. If you've never been popular, you like pumpkin spice lattes, you're basic, and you wear dad shoes, Jesus says to you, you're invited. You're invited to be a evangelist. You're invited to be a harvest worker. I can do incredible things through you. Tell the person next to you, you're invited. And so if being uneducated, being unskilled, being a sinner... If none of that is disqualifying, what then is our qualifier? What is required of you and me to be a credible evangelist and a most impactful harvest worker that we might win everyone? Jesus stated it this way. It is not complicated. It is just hard. If anyone wishes to come after me, if anyone wants to participate in my kingdom movement. If anyone wants to continue my work, he must what? Deny, highlight, underline, circle that word. He must deny himself and take up his cross. How often? Daily. Daily. Highlight, underline, circle that word and follow Jesus. This phrase must deny. It means to forcefully reject something, to strongly renounce your own personal interest. For example, in a bombshell announcement heard around the world, Prince Harry and Duchess Meghan renounced their roles as senior members of the British royal family. In an effort to live a more restful, refreshing life, they relinquished their royal highness titles. They refused to receive public funds. They declined many other privileges that they are entitled to being a part of that family. Many media outlets, they accused Prince Harry of utterly rejecting his family and his responsibilities. The public, they couldn't wrap their minds around why anybody in their whole mind, in their sane mind, would abandon such privilege, abandon such a life. Reportedly, Harry has struggled with this backlash and he's suffering because of the rifts in his family. And I'm sure he's wondered, oh my God, did I make the right decision? Should we back out? Should we reconsider all of this? And so if Harry and if Meghan, they want to continue down this path of a life where they believe they're going to feel refreshed and have a little bit of relief, well, they'll have to continue to cast aside the temptation to return to their routine of royal privilege. Like the Jewish boys who renounced their families and rejected the worldview that they inherited when they had to learn from their rabbi, 
Harry will have to develop a new pattern of thinking, a new pattern of behaving that's different from the only life that he's ever known. And so did you pay attention to the verbs? Renounce, relinquish, refuse, decline, reject, utterly abandon, cast aside. This is what Jesus meant by must deny. If you're taking notes, write this down. Must deny daily. Must deny daily. And it's that. Not education, not talent, not perfect conduct, not memorizing a whole bunch of religious rules and regulations. It's the difficult decision to deny yourself daily and imitate Jesus. That is your credential. That is your qualifier as a harvest worker. After all, what's more convincing to the world that you believe in an all-powerful, eternal, inviting, self-denying God than for you to live a self-denying, others-focused, others-preferring kind of life. It puts what you believe on display. It gives you credibility. And so practically, what does it look like for you to daily deny yourself? Here's how it looks for me, personally. Over the years, I've developed a discipline to ask this question, and by the way, I get it wrong all the time. That's why Jesus gave us this grace of saying daily, but I've developed this discipline to ask this question. Holy Spirit, indicating I want to be led by the Holy Spirit. How might I give preference to this person to show my preference for you? Holy Spirit, how might I give preference to this person's objectives, desires, needs, challenges, problems to show my preference to be led by you. It sometimes means that I just shut up and listen or ask questions instead of dominating a conversation. It sometimes means that I stop scrolling through my phone and getting those dopamine hits as I give my wife my undivided attention. It sometimes means that even when I feel that I've been wronged and I deserve an apology and I deserve retribution, I decide to just let it go and to forgive and to move in a different trajectory sometimes even means that despite how I want to naturally respond to something because a whole bunch of personality assessments and characters and numbers tell me that I could act like that, I have to reject that and decline that and say, no, 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 I'm not entitled to behaving like this. I have to imitate Jesus. And so it always means for me that I'm at least seeking to self-deny myself and follow Jesus. And that's exactly what I'm inviting you to do today. I'm inviting you to join me in this very difficult decision. Let's mark today, March 1st, 2020, or whatever day you're listening at a future date from the podcast, let's mark it as D-Day, Denial Day, the day that you decided or decided again to deny yourself daily and imitate Jesus as best as you can with the help of the Holy Spirit. So here's what's about to happen. In just a few moments, we're going to pause for a time of consideration. And I'm going to guide you through some questions. I'm going to guide you through some questions to help you understand exactly what I'm inviting you to do for you to determine for yourself, is this a decision that you're willing to make right here, right now? And while it's a difficult, life-disrupting decision, I'm convinced you will experience what my dear friends experienced. And they've given me their blessing to share some of their story. Uh, a few years ago, my friend Gage led a thriving 
growing, impactful tribe, and the details don't matter, but as he described it, he entertained briefly an inappropriate relationship with a woman outside of his marriage. By our definition today, he sinned. He's a sinner. He missed the mark of perfection in his marriage, missed the mark of perfection as a father in his ministry. It cost his job, his decisions disappointed a lot of people, devastated his wife. Heck, the religious council we talked about earlier, they would have quickly criticized him, condemned him, maybe even crucified him. Gage could have selfishly, secretly continued in the inappropriate relationship. He could have proudly and insensitively dismissed his missteps and told his family, hey, just get over it. It happened. Shut up. He could have stuffed his shame. He could have moved to another place where people didn't know his story, who didn't know his name. He could have had a fresh start. His wife, Rebecca, she had every right to be broken and bitter. It was her privilege, her entitlement to take the kids wherever she wanted to take them and start afresh. Their family could have gone in a downward spiral toward disaster and could have been destroyed. But, but for Jesus, friend of sinners, Gage and Rebecca, they made the difficult decision to deny themselves daily. Rebecca had to daily deny her desire to be bitter and her desire to remind Gage of all the hurt that he had caused her and the family. Gage had to daily deny his pride and agree to counseling. In a restorative path with Pastor Doug, he had to daily deny his privilege of privacy and he had to accept accountability with the recovery tribe. And then, and I don't want to paint this picture like it was miraculous and it happened overnight. It was after a really long, dark season of this difficult decision to deny themselves daily at an awakening gathering last month, Gage did something that very few of us would ever agree to do. With hundreds of us in this tribe present, with his family present, he publicly confessed his sins and he asked for forgiveness from City Tribe. And of course, as we do, all of y'all are just so merciful and so gracious. You guys stood up and applauded and celebrated him and said, yes, we forgive. And I was standing over by this exit right here in the Cameo Theater. And I had a view of the entire gathering and I got to see everybody's faces. And there was just something so unique about that experience. There was this feeling in the room and those of you who were there, you can attest to this. People were amazed. And it wasn't because Gage spoke eloquently. He cried through a lot of his talk. And it wasn't because he translated Greek or Hebrew words or he gave us some really profound biblical insight. And it wasn't because he came up with a pithy statement for all of us to memorize and repeat throughout the week. People were amazed because they saw that Gage and Rebecca had been with Jesus daily. The people saw that they had been with this guy who had the power to overcome death, that has the power to restore life, to refresh people. 
And we saw through their daily denial that Jesus was at work refreshing their marriage and their family and that he was fulfilling the promise that he gives to all of us that whoever loses his life for Jesus' sake, he is the one who will save it. (laughs) Y'all, let me tell you, that was probably the most credible evangelizing that this city tribe stage has ever seen. Jesus qualified Gage and Rebecca. He gave them their credentials. He refreshed them. And this is exactly what Jesus is inviting you to experience when he says, you're invited, follow me. This is what he wants for you. It's what Gage and Rebecca want for you. It's what I want for you. So you're invited. Let's together do what Peter and John did that transformed the trajectory of human history. Let's together do what Gage and Rebecca did that restored their marriage and amazed everybody who was in attendance hearing their story of redemption, their continuing story of redemption. And so let's do this so that Jesus can do what he does. So here are your questions for consideration. And if at all possible, Y'all, would you just stay in your seats for right now? Let's give some consideration to the people around us who are really intrigued about this decision. And if you're listening from the podcast, don't tune out. Stay with us. Participate with us. Let me ask you, are you opposed to your current life, how it's going, good or bad? Are you opposed to it being disrupted? turned upside down. But with the promise of one day feeling refreshed, feeling rest in your souls, are you opposed to that? Are you opposed to reconsidering what you believe? What you believe as right and true? What you believe is important and valuable? Are you opposed to reconsidering that? Are you opposed to developing a daily discipline that asks Holy Spirit, how might I give preference to this person to show my preference for you? That you might put Jesus on display so people would be amazed, so you would be a credible and impactful evangelist, a harvest gatherer. Are you opposed to developing that discipline of having an outward mindset, others focused perspective? you're not opposed to any of that and you're ready to make the difficult decision to deny yourself daily or to re-decide to deny yourself daily would you say something like this to yourself between you and God Lord Jesus I've decided I've decided again to accept your invitation to deny myself daily With the help of your Holy Spirit, help me pattern my life and my thoughts after you. Use me to be a credible, impactful evangelist so people are amazed and they feel refreshed in their souls. That is a decision that you made. I want to pray for you personally. And so we had a number on the screen that we introduced last week for you to text in your questions. But right now, if you made that decision, would you just text this number 210-920-1111?
0405. We're not going to do anything weird with your information or anything like that. I sincerely want to pray for you. Just text that. Say, I have made this decision to deny myself. This is my first name. And if you decided that today is not the day, it's not the day for you to start denying yourself. You're not ready. You're just not there. I promise you there is absolutely no judgment here. You are still invited to continue learning about Jesus in this place, exploring what it means to follow him, learning more about the kingdom of God. But would you just afford me this opportunity to pray for you? Or perhaps would you pray this yourself? You can say something like, I'm not quite there, but God, work with me work in me. Send me compassionate workers to show me that you are at work in the world today. And so Lord, as we pray daily and desperately for you to send workers to gather your harvest, for you to send evangelists that'll level up in their faith to extend an invitation to other people to say, you're invited, let's participate in this kingdom movement together. God, we pray that your Holy Spirit would guide us and lead us, help us deny ourselves daily. Thank you for your grace to say daily. We know we're gonna mess up, but we wanna imitate you. We want to imitate you so more people are amazed at your goodness and so they could experience rest in their souls so they can be refreshed here now and also in eternity. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. And everyone who agreed said, Amen. Well, you guys. We're glad you're a part of the tribe today. To further connect with us, check citytribe.church.